It's episode 12 of Where Did It All Go Right? How are you? Well, we hope your week has been good and you're now listening to this maybe on the commute with your feet up or with your feet moving if you're on a walk or a run. You might be able to hear the uh, the birds in the background. I'm recording this on a gorgeous sunny day. So lovely to hear sounds of spring. Uh, this week's guest then is Holly Samos, uh, who popped in for a cuppa to talk about her career. You might remember Holly, or as she was known, Holly Hot Lips, on the Chris Evans Breakfast Show on Radio 1 and on Virgin. Well, since then, she's worked for Five Live as their Formula 1 reporter, and she's still very, very involved in Formula 1. She also does voiceover. She's been the voice of the Brits for the last uh, few years. In fact, you might have heard her this year. Well, whatever you're up to, enjoy. Well, Holly, thanks for coming round for, for a cup of tea, glass of water. Pleasure. Wh- whatever you fancy. Um, it's great living in Oxford because people just pass by. So so thank you very much. Oxford is good. Yeah, Oxford is. is good like that. <laughs> yes. So I think um, a lot of people will remember you from, well, from so many different careers because you, you are clever like that you've, you've done all sorts but if we kind of rewind back to the beginning and, and holly hot lips and and all that those uh, days those days yes but for you then what you started working at glr was it radio Wise? yes so i when i was i went to college in london so i went to um ealing college which was not it used to be an art college and Freddie Mercury went there and Mark Bolan and Pete, and so I kind of thought oh, I need to go to this college and then and then I thought what shall I do there and so then I, I started doing a degree in um, it was called design and media management and during my first year uh, we got a phone call from Greater London Radio which was BBC London the local radio station and they said we need a couple of students to pop into this radio show to basically do a feature on the show that we do with students and is anyone around and I just happened to be there so a friend and and myself and I think there were three of us drove in and we met Chris Evans and he wasn't famous then he was 23 years old I was 18 19 and he um, was doing this tiny little radio show called the greenhouse and we I, I, basically I was the I was the feature on the show so it was like a silly quiz that we did and then we all went out and had a few drinks afterwards and then he said would I like to answer the phones on his show because he knew I was studying media and I thought yeah I don't know anything about radio so I'll it wasn't just, something wasn't a burning design no I, will, I wanted to be a film director I was into visuals and then suddenly this radio thing fell into my lap and and basically every career I've ever had since has fallen into my lap. But How but annoying. So yeah. People are going to kill you for that. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting how it happens, you know. And, the, and then it all sort of st- basically spurred on from there. And, and I worked with him for about two years, work experience. Didn't get paid, but had a brilliant time every week answering phones on his show and learnt a lot I must admit, I learnt an awful lot from him in the early days before he got famous. And then obviously, you know, gosh. Off it went. It's crazy, But yeah. So during those two years, because that's a long time to work for nothing. You yeah. must have really loved it. Or, or were you still had a burning desire to be a film director? No, or did no, that no. Go, was that, Had that gone out the window? Do then? you know, it was quite interesting because I did a three-year degree. I worked at um, on Saturdays and Sundays in a health club because I wanted to join a gym, but I couldn't afford it. So I thought if I get a job in the in the health club, then I get free membership. So I worked behind the bar, which obviously doesn't quite go with with working out. But so I worked all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and that paid me uh, the money I, I needed to study. And then um, every Thursday night, I did this show with Chris, and he. 
over those two years, he kind of pulled me into the show. So he would ha- he, he was the presenter. But then every now and then he would say, Holly, what's going on in the phone room? And then I would talk on air and stuff. I didn't, I, you know, I was 18. I didn't know anything about radio at all. And so he just sort of generally introduced me slowly into his world, mm-hmm. his crazy world that was... And it was called The Greenhouse, the show. And we actually had about 100 plants in the studio. So it was a proper, you know, he was very visual even back then, even though he's a brilliant broadcaster that he is. Um, and I just had a laugh every week and it was something different. And lots and of oxygen because of all the plants. Lots of oxygen, yes, yes, yes. Um, and we always went out for a drink afterwards and I got to know Soho really well in London and we went to lots of bars and clubs and mm, parties. That sounds, that sounds familiar. So, so there was a lot of social. There was a lot of social afterwards, yes. And so so I sort of had this this twin life for three years. I went to college in Ealing, did all my work and then I had sort of these one or two days a week where I worked. And I didn't care that I wasn't getting paid because I was just learning. And you were loving it. Lots of stuff. And I was loving it. Yeah. yeah. So because you also worked at a record company. So was that afterwards? Yeah. So when I finished my degree, I then got a job at MCA Records as um, the sort of assistant in the A&R department. So it was all about signing bands. And I loved music anyway. I still did my radio stuff, you know, on the sort of on the back burner as such. Still for free. Still for free, yes. Um, but again, you know, my first job at the record company was with a flatmate. So she worked at the record company. She said that someone was going off on maternity leave. Would I take the job? So I fell into that job, you know, oh even, at, even at the age of 21. It was crazy. This is not what we want to hear. We want to say, right, I went for this job interview and this is what I did. But it's but just you know, knowing people, isn't it? It is. And what's really interesting, and you're absolutely right, Ali, because the people I met when I was 19 with Chris, they were the people that I worked with later on in my career. And when I got the job at the record company, Again, it's a very small world, the media, music. If you get into film, I'm sure that's very small as well, but certainly broadcasting and record companies. Uh, you all know each other and your reputation counts. And whether it's smiling at someone walking down the corridor or holding the door open for someone or being really good at your job, it all counts because people remember you. Yeah. And then you get put forward for jobs without even applying for them <laughs> and so so I kind of went into so I was doing radio on the side and then I did a bit of um record company work which was great fun because it was working with lots of bands so it's kind of before it, the 90s this was yeah so this was yeah 1991 something like 92 something so, like that it's just great I was time born for in music. 70 yeah so I was about 21 and it was yeah it was crazy lots though. of gigs my long uh, hours my A&R director he was he was a strange fella. <laughs> so there was always a fug in his room. When I walked into his office, you, there was everyone smoked back then. And you could hardly, you'd have to cut the atmosphere with a knife just to get through to him. Um, is, that, is that why, it was a, <laughs> is that why you decided then I'm going to sort of go towards the plants and Chris and the radio well, no. then? no. So then I got a phone call. <laughs> this is again what my career... Um, so I was working in the record company and then I got a phone call from a chap called John Revel, who was a producer back in the GLR days when I was 19 um, and an old friend of Chris's. 
And he phoned and said, I'm starting a radio station with Richard Branson called Virgin Radio. And we launched next year. Will you come and work with me? And with Richard Skinner, who was the other programme director. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. I'll try. I know a bit about radio. I've had, then, I've had enough of going through that fog in the A&R yes, man's office. Exactly. So I left um, MCA and I went to Virgin. And there was only maybe six of us back then. And it was literally the very launch of the radio station. You know, we, were, we had a good eight months before we launched. And it was brilliant. Just hiring people we kind of created our own jobs really I was I was basically their PA what job title did you give yourself (laughs) well well I was the program director's PA but I um I sort of ran the day-to-day goings-on with the presenters when we eventually got them and hired them um because my pro so John Revel who was one of the program directors he was a bit of a forward thinker ideas man and then Richard Skinner obviously very famous from the radio one days and live aid and he was just music man so I just thought well I'll you're doing that and he's doing that so I'll if I just run the office and run the day-to-day stuff with the jocks then, then jobs are good that life will carry on <laughs> and, everything. and it was kind of like that Virgin Radio back then it was 1993 and it was just so brilliant. Everyone worked so hard, but we all desperately wanted the radio station to succeed because we loved it, because we grew it mm. from, you know, fitting out the offices to what chairs we were going to sit on to what computers we were going to use. You know, it was our, it was our baby. But you have to be and quite a brave person to sort of, you know, say, I've just, I decided what, what job I'd give myself. I, I don't think a lot of people could do that. Yeah, I know. So you have I to know. be that sort of person to be quite confident. And what was interesting as well was I wasn't, because I used to do on-air stuff with Chris Evans when he was doing, you know, when, when I was 19, mm. but this was... He, as I said, he wasn't famous then. This was just a little show that he had and it was a lot of fun. But I didn't have any desire to be on the radio. I, I quite liked the organising. And so at Virgin, I was literally in the office, you know, sorting everyone out and writing their their briefing sheets for their shows. You were and, Miss Efficient. Yeah, I was Miss Efficient. <laughs> I had a very tidy desk. So, so when but, did you um, decide to kind of be a little bit more creative and how did that happen getting on, getting on behind the microphone then? So... By fluke, obviously, Ali, because that's my life. Um, so then, over those years, Christopher Evans got very famous. He started doing The Big Breakfast. We were friends anyway, so I would always be part of any show that he was doing. Sort of, I, So he did a show at um, BSB called Power Up. And so I must have been like 20 or 21 then. And he would take me, it would be like a Saturday morning show. And he, he was getting into television before he did the big breakfast. And he would take me to the meetings, you know, because I was just one of his mates. And so um, I would go to these big creative meetings with him and with, with big bosses. And he would say, Holly, what do you think about this idea? And I would say, well, I think we should do this. You know, <laughs> and it was just a laugh. And, and, and yet these were serious, big creative meetings. So you never felt out of your depth? No, because Chris was next to me. So I just kind of went along with what he was saying. You had and a then, partner and then, in crime. But also he, he trusted me because he, again, he hadn't hit that fame thing yet. And so we were just having a laugh. <laughs> and there were a few of us. There were always a few of us. Um, so over the years, he was always a friend anyway. And then professionally, I was working at Virgin in, in the production team. And then he called... <laughs> And said, this was mid-90s. You didn't, didn't change your <laughs> change number. Change my number, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, I got a phone call from him and he said, 
I want you to come and work somewhere, but I can't tell you where it is. I can tell you it's only for about seven months, but you have to do it. (laughs) And that was it. And I just thought, blimey. Okay, what's this? He couldn't tell me any information at all. And this was, this was early 90s, yeah, mid, sort of mid-early 90s. And so I went to see my boss at Virgin Radio, who was this fantastic man called David Campbell, who um, w- he was just a visionary. He was a brilliant boss. And he, um, I said to him, Chris has just called me. He's offered me a job. He can't tell me where it is. He can't tell me what the job is, but I know it's for about seven or eight months I, I, I don't know anything more and he won't tell me anything more. You know what Chris is like. And David, my boss, said to me, take it. You have to do this, whatever it is. You know it was going to be. He probably had an inkling be, what it might be. No, I don't think he did. Did you have I don't an inkling? anyone knew then. No one knew. And this is Radio 1, I assume. This was the Radio 1 breakfast show. Right. So when, and, when you found out? When I found out, I... Well, the great thing was the boss said to me take it and then come back I will give you your job back so I had huge confidence then that I was going to be okay because obviously I was paying for my rent you know so um so then uh, I found out what the job was and it was huge news in the papers and I think we were taking over from Steve Wright and he'd been doing the breakfast show for a long time so it was a big change for Radio 1 and for the BBC and we as a production company were going to go in there with kind of the unknown because Chris was very much the unknown back then uh, even though he was he was famous would you say you weren't terrified again because you were part of a team part of a team and um, I didn't really know what to expect so you become Holly Hotlips well no because again I was going as a researcher celebrity booker I was part of the production team I wasn't on air and then it was only when we were doing all the pilots that I suddenly became on air with him. So he just threw that at me. He just said one day, well, there's, there was Chris and there was John, our exec producer from my Virgin days, from my GLR days, same chap. Um, there was a sound guy from The Big Breakfast called Dan, who I'd met socially. Um, and we just all really got on. We were just great mates. Um, and so there was primarily us. And then I was the only girl. And Chris, during the pilots, we were due on air, I mean, in something like four weeks' time, and we were doing these pilot shows, and he said, oh, Holly, I think I, I just need you to talk to me on air, because we need a girl's voice. It was as simple as that. We need a girl's voice. Let's have some equality. So talk here. to me, <laughs> you know. And I was like, no, 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 no. And he went, yes, 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 you know. And then it just happened. And and it snowballed. And it snowballed from there. And mm. and then so, and you never think about the millions of people listening to you, because I'm just talking to my mate, you know, who's sitting opposite me. you just like you were in the office or in yeah, the GLR in the pub. days. Well, yeah. we were always in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> it was the pub. <laughs> it was always <laughs> sitting in the pub. Um, so that just, yeah completely snowballed Mm. and and it worked I think primarily because of the timing because it was 1995 90 for the Brit pop I'm 96 exactly it was the Brit pop era it was Euro 96 it was just there was so much going on in Britain at the time and because we had the four of us um at Radio 1 doing this show, we very much sort of sectioned ourselves off from the rest of the BBC in a way, and we self-produced our own shows. So we wrote our own shows, and um, we didn't really get involved in anything else that was going on in the radio station. 
Um, so you're a little bit of an island. We were, and we were in a, we were in the very top office in Egton House. I remember it. we called it the penthouse. <laughs> there was nothing like a penthouse, but um, but we sort of didn't get involved. And there was a lot of politics at the BBC at the time, and there were a lot of changes. Matthew Bannister was the head and of the station, and there were so many changes going on that uh, Chris said to us, "We have to, you know, we've got one shot at this show." And we want to make it work. So we have to really focus on our own selves. And so we did. Um, and Seven months led to... Seven years. <laughs> well, no, at Radio 1 it was less, obviously, because we only stayed there for a couple of years. Because then we all got fired. Did we get fired from there? <laughs> I think we got fired or we left. I can't remember. I, I'm there's, sure there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot that went on, and you can just read about it in the papers because it was it was everywhere. It was on the front pages it every day, was. and you were on the front pages a lot of the time. Did you find that? And that's when I became Holly Hotlips, yeah. actually. And that was it was nothing to do with the way I looked. It was always because I gossiped. Yeah, I was a gossip. Naughty. And so, but I gossiped in a nice way. I wasn't a bad gossip. <laughs> but there was my my flatmate at the time. We we had a fax machine back then, and um, we were in a big creative meeting in Radio 1 at the time and my flatmate sent me through a massive pair of lips on a fax and it came through the fax machine while we were in this creative meeting and it was just a and it just said Holly call me so we can finish this conversation once you're done and there was a massive pair of lips and Chris pulled it off the fax machine and he just went, oh, Holly Hot Lips, like this. And then suddenly started calling me Holly Hot Lips. It and that's stuck. where it stuck. Yeah. So but, that was a bit crazy. But but. Did, and, and it was really crazy. And, and did you mind the attention and the, and the photographers? And, it kind and, of went with the territory. I mean, we were learning on the job. And we, because we, we were a very tight-knit group, but we were all friends first and foremost. And I think that's why the show worked so well, because we just talked rubbish most of the time but it was funny (laughs) it was funny rubbish but no it um because we were friends we lived our life on the radio Mm. so we would go to the pub every day or go for a meal every day or go on holiday with each other or you know we lived we we were we were just mates but that is and then that led to the show that was our material that's really intense though going on holiday together going to the pub working together I mean, Chris has got a reputation for being difficult to work with, but the fact that you were with him for a long time, so were there fallouts? There, oh yeah, there were fallouts, but he, it, do you know, it was funny, I, I don't know whether it's a youth thing, but because I kind of learnt my craft with him and through him, and he was learning as well, I mean, he was only a couple of years older than me, um, but he's such a talent, and when you come across those talents, they're, there's huge highs, but then there are lows that go with those highs. You know, it's never sort of a, a you know, it's never sedate. Um, but to experience those highs, not many people can experience those. Mm-hmm. They're they're so exciting and so much fun. But then you're going to get the lows that that come in the dark times, and we just learnt to deal with it as we as we went through our years together and. The show, the Radio 1 breakfast show, was at such a high point during 95, 96. Um, and then 97, I think, was when we got fired or we left. Whatever happened. Um, you moved it was on. All, yes, it was all a bit yes, messy up there. Um, 
but and he had TFI Friday as well so he had sort of television going on so we just kind of dealt with each day as it came because that's how you what you do in radio you don't have to plan like television and so we always had a show to deliver but we very rarely ever did that show I mean literally it would take one person saying one sentence at 6 35 in the morning and then that sentence would lead us off on some sort of other yeah Yeah. exactly and and it just and every day was like that and every day we laughed and and every day we didn't really know where the show was going but we learnt you know we we did it sounds like we didn't know what we were doing we did know what we were doing it's very clever but it there was there was always a sort of undertone because there would be some days when he would come in to the studio and say you know something about what happened in the pub last night or what we were talking about and and it was always about life mm-hmm. it was always about relationships or religion or you know why why are we here you know there were big God, questions you- that you talk about in the pub and then we would just carry them on on the radio show yeah. and then in- incorporate sort of celebrities and sport and all these other things that were happening at the time as well was there a particular so it super fun. Uh, yeah it sounds completely fun completely exhausting as well yeah was there a time a show or a, an award ceremony because often you'd go to an award ceremony and then come back but do you remember like, like one show and you just thought oh this is I'm loving this this is just brilliant a, a particular guest or, or a particular moment well we met so many I mean I remember him saying to me you know we should never you know you don't really want to meet your heroes do you because they always let you down when you do but we had all sorts of celebrities in on the show and which was lovely I I really enjoyed I enjoy people mm. and I think that's why I enjoyed working in a radio studio with other people with my friends was because I was literally talking to them I forgot that we had eight million listeners you know and 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 then the people that did come on air with us whether they were just the, the general public or whether they were celebs they they're they're interesting as well mm. and famous people are just normal people they just happen to be famous for what they do and so we treated them as normal people and I think we all had a lot of fun and and Chris is very funny you know he's a very very talented funny man and and so generally the radio shows were, were great fun all of them were good there are times when um I remember I tried to book Princess Margaret for a for a slot on one of our features good luck with that and I got into a lot of trouble because I just phoned Buckingham Palace to try and book her and apparently there was a, like a royal department there's within a, the BBC. A there's that. a protocol, yes, which I didn't know at the time. But you know, my our our whole sort of ethos was just try. You know, why why not try and book Princess Margaret for for a guest slot? You know, for personality or person. Or, you know, why why not book her? Because if you don't try, if you don't give her a phone call then yeah. you know you never know she might say yes and so that was our sort of our mentality was just let's talk to whoever we can and if we want to get prints on the show let's try and get prints on the show and you know all those things did you get prints on the show we did we did we were supposed to go over and oh, that, was, that was a shame we were supposed to go to Minneapolis to interview him but it didn't work out at the very last minute um but yes we we pretty much spoke to everyone mm. and no one, you know, particularly stands Apart out. Princess they were all Margaret. great. Yeah, we didn't see us. No, we didn't get her, sadly. <laughs> so, I mean, when it all finished, because sometimes I find that when you've been on holiday with lots of friends and family and there's a bit of a, 
sort of oh that feeling of emptiness so when the whole whirlwind it was such a whirlwind when it ended did you Mm. feel a bit bereft so when radio one ended we were i mean we did drink a lot at the time so there was we were always on a certain level (laughs) i'd say of not really always knowing exactly what was going on um but there was a lot of politics within the bbc at the time we left all got fired and then Chris uh, we still worked for Chris so John and I and Dan still worked for Chris's production company Ginger Productions and there were lots of other things that Ginger Productions were doing all the time so we were always working on different um, whether it was booking celebrities for another tv show or working on other radio pilots so we were always still getting paid Um, but then I really missed laughing every day But I remember um, saying to Chris one day that I just missed laughing, that belly laugh Mm. that we had every morning because we'd had it for a few years Mm. then. And I was from mid-twenties and and even though it was exciting, all these other shows that we were working on and these other pilots, we were working with some great new broadcasters and developing lots of development. Um, But I missed laughing. And so then he said... Uh, I think we should buy a radio station. And that's when he went into the city and got all the investment and bought Virgin Radio. And then we were back on the air. That's incredible. So it was, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you it, got the belly laughs again. We got the belly laughs again. And, and the late nights. And, and you just started and all over started again. Started all over again. Same team. Same team. A bit bigger. Uh, had a, a couple of extra people because in commercial radio, you um, need more people. <laughs> because there there are usually less you've got more money Uh, yes there's more money um and again the shows just naturally happened because it was just fun and because we were we were so good at working with each other um working with each other but also for each other as well so we knew when someone needed a hand and it needed help and and again it was you know because it wasn't hard but there were there were big highs and big lows again and and I think you know if you even if you work with comedians it's the very it's similar mm. you know there's a lot of sort of highs and lows when, and when so, people are so talented and creative it's just that kind yeah, of yeah they're different coaster. They're, and and also there are they're a different level to us mm. you know I I can I've had a, a lovely career I've had a great fun career but people like Chris Evans, he's on a completely different level to me. Mm. You know, I can't go and buy a radio station. I can't have the biggest radio show for donkey's years like he has. You know, he's he's just amazing. But you were but a he, part of it. You were I a was a part, part of it. And, and what's really interesting in your career is that, you know, that ended. And a lot of people might have just gone into oblivion and, and just done something completely different. But because um, you carried on and you worked for Capital and Century, didn't you? Yeah, so I went to work for... So I left in 2001, left Virgin um, and left him. And the show kind of ended really there. Um, he And was that difficult, saying, I'm going? No, we're... No, it was... I, it kind of got... You know when you know yeah, yeah. that something... It's kind of like a relationship. Yeah. You kind of just know. <laughs> this. We, we could carry on for a bit, but actually it's not really working. Um, we just got to the end of mm, our it was a long lifespan. Time. Yeah, it was exactly. It was yeah, a long time. <laughs> um, a long time and no sleep. <laughs> a long time and no sleep. And um, 
And then when it ended, um, we all sort of split up. I missed them. That was because they, as you know, as I said, we all hung out with each other every day. I mean, even Christmas Day, you know, Chris would come to my house for Christmas Day and we'd sit with my 90-year-old nan and, you know, we'd play cards and with his mum and, you know, and his girlfriend. It was, it was so, so we stayed friends, but we missed that daily contact. And then I went to... Um, the Century Network, and I started working with a chap called Mark Forrest on a really funny, well, it wasn't a funny show, actually. It was called The Confessional. So it was all about confessions. It was quite a serious show. But again, it was talking to people and it was a bit of therapy. You know, it's the normal kind of just chatting like we did with the Chris Chris show. You know, we, we just talked on air about people's issues and problems and girlfriend troubles and parent problems and and everyone sort of talked it out and I was like the mediator on the the, being the presenter and then Mark left and I carried on that show and did you mind that because that's really very much solo flying you know having been so so much a team was that difficult I found it was a big transition Mm. because again I had never thought when I was younger I wanted to be a radio presenter so I I had never really considered that as a job and yet I that's what I was doing and so when when I kept doing all these radio shows I would sort of sit there sometimes thinking gosh I'm I'm the one pushing the faders here doing the talking on the air and I've got to talk to these people and this wasn't in the plan but I wasn't very good at just disc jockeying you know just being a jock playing the music so when I did a few jobs like that for um again for Virgin but when it was later later on in life um that was literally just playing the music and I found that quite because I literally was that was the Rolling Stones and this is Bruce Springsteen and you know and I just you thought, like to have a bit of a zoo I format, like to have a chat a <laughs> yes I like to have a chat with people <laughs> um and so I did so I worked at Heart I did a magazine show at Heart with Toby Anstis and I did Century and then I and then um what did I do um oh and then I got a phone call this then form- I got this a phone Formula call. One phone call this was the Formula One phone call so this was again someone that I'd met in my earlier career who called and said would you be interested in doing um reporting being the reporter for the formula one for bbc radio five live well this is quite incredible though because <laughs> formula one is a real that everyone who loves formula one knows their stuff and obviously you do but for someone to remember that you did and i used to well i do, i used to talk about it quite a lot okay. um on the air with on chris's show so i did talk about f1 quite a lot and i did i had done le mans the 24 hour race so i'd reported on that but were you as a, a bit, sort of sideline a bit worried because you know you were a bit on on chris's show i had show. to learn my yeah. stuff and, and also you it was always joking you were mucking about and and this is a little bit more serious the and sport. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a sport. It's a sport it's a gear that change, goes around isn't it? the world. It's a huge gear change. And and I thought I actually said to the boss of Five Live, "Let me just do one race, and then I'll know whether I can do a whole season or not." Because mm-hmm. I kind of know within myself what whether what whether, your limits whether I'm, are. Yeah, yeah, whether I'm any good or not, mm-hmm. and and what I can achieve and what I can't achieve, and. And maybe that's from experience, but I just thought I can do all the prep. I'm really good because I was a researcher originally, mm. so I can I can do all the preparation in the world. Um, but am I going to enjoy it? And this was my big thing was I need to enjoy my job because that's all I've ever done. Yeah. You see that some so, people would just go, oh, they've called. This is a great, I don't, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm just going to try. But I think that's a really sensible thing to do is just 
just well, hang on one step at a time because they could actually have said well actually no we need you to commit to all of them so for the fact that they yeah. only said one that's okay well he said he's well I think he wanted me to do the whole season um I mean I'd got the job so and I'd said I would be the pit lane reporter but I think maybe in my head I maybe in my head I said to him I'm just going to do one and then I'll tell you but um oh, I see. <laughs> but no I, I I knew at the first race it was 2006 and it was Bahrain and I'd, I'd done all the preparation. I'd got to know all the drivers. I'd been out to a test. I'd met all the communications people. I'd met all the bosses. And, and I'm quite good at going around and saying hi to people, you know. So again, through all those radio years with Chris, even though it was radio, we were out all the time. So I, I got used to being social and talking to people. And so I wasn't, and I wasn't phased by anyone. So racing drivers usually phase a lot of, journalists or reporters because they're big fans whereas I was a fan of the sport but I just thought you know I've met every top pop star and actor and you know I've I've met so many people yeah. that that you're you know I'm I love what you do but I'm more interested in what you do than having my picture taken mm. with you mm. you know so it was like going um to a gig and working backstage and going on tour with a band you know when you go to a formula one race it there are there are the equivalent roadies and performers and musicians and and everyone's creating you know this car and this and and the technology the more I worked within formula one the more I learned about the technology and it's fascinating Mm -hmm. and then and then there's the sport aspect which is just so that competition is so much fun and and even though, again, going back to the radio days, when I worked on The Breakfast Show, we we, we just did our show, but we were very competitive. Mm. We wanted to have the best show mm. in the Britain, and we did. And and we, you know, we made that happen. There's a veneer of having so, a lot of fun, isn't there? But underneath there's it... There's a lot of work yeah, going on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, the, the, the good thing about radio that's very different from television, I think, is that it's very instant and so that's what I quite like live stuff so the bits of telly that I have sort of done in the past I found a little bit tedious because it would be take after take and recording and you'd have to rehearse and I would be like what can we just do it rehearse can we just do this and even if you muck up what's wrong with mucking up you know that's normal that's real life and so with Formula One my role was the pit lane reporter for the Beeb and I had to go around each garage and each driver and interview them and talk to them and find out about what they did and report on the sport. And I thought, well, you know, that can't be that difficult because I literally have to just ask an open question and just say what's happening and then they will tell me. And so I got to know all these engineers and these um, uh, very, very smart designers and, and just all these team leaders they were interesting and so, because it was interesting it was fun after, and after the first one you decided I stayed for five years <laughs> yes that is um, an epic thing to do though because it's not just like popping to the office it, it's all over the world it was a big career change yeah. and what a job though oh my god so it was still radio so I loved it um, because it was just microphone in hand. Well, but you I was, say that I was, because I've been in that pit and it's a scrum. <laughs> it is a scrum. And I've been knocked over. I don't know how oh, you... Yeah. How did you manage not to get pushed over and by... And I did. Oh, you did. There was one... I remember one... I, there was. I didn't actually physically get knocked over, but I got pushed so much into Michael Schumacher, bless him. 
Um, so he, Michael was standing, but it was Michael's last year at Ferrari and he was standing behind a rail. And I went, there was, a, there was about 30 of us because it's global sport. So there's tons of journalists yeah. and reporters. And we were in Brazil at the time and a lot of local Brazilian press had turned up and they pushed it was this there were maybe 30 in a queue they pushed and i my feet stood still but i kind of went over in as a slant and my face went into michael's oh, chest oh my goodness and i was just on his race suit <laughs> with my microphone looking up at him and he just grabbed my shoulders and slowly pushed me back <laughs> so i could stand vertical again but it was just it was fun and and there was a lot of um it was nice actually meeting all the other journos from and all the other reporters from the, the other countries and and we did 17 18 19 races a year and and you met your husband and we, I met my husband on on so the road good, that was good, good. yeah we're still together which is great <laughs> um and and we we had you know we went to brilliant place we worked a lot I mean you don't get much time off at a race because you work from a Thursday through to Sunday night and then you leave so you don't see a lot of of cities but you have it it's a wonderful life it's literally like going on tour with a band well but this is again you know from the days in the record company Mm. when you were like doing being with bands and then with with working with Chris and and the team where it was long long hours you don't seem to shy away from that you know you you, you like like working working hard yeah but then at the same time I think that we always had this mentality and I think it came from the Virgin Radio days of the very early when Richard Branson's station just first launched was work hard, play hard. Mm. And and I've always done that. So I will always do all my work. I will never fail. But um, I will still go to the pub and I will still go and have a meal. And I will still, if I can fit that in, I will fit it in. And, you know, and I still try and do lots and lots of stuff because, gosh, you only live once, don't you? You might as well enjoy it. Well, you've packed it in, I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like I'm 90 years old. Not at all. No, I mean, there's still so much to, to talk about because you, you when, when Formula One ended, you decided because you had a family and, you know, you... Yeah, so I had my, my son and I did I did one more year, um, but I missed him too much because you can't take a baby on the road with you. And um, and my husband at the time was... He'd changed. He'd gone from... I said he'd gone into the dark side. So he'd gone from working from a team to work, being a journalist and now he's gone back to working for a team again. So when he was a journalist, he um, stayed at home with our son and I travelled. And then, and I just missed it. I missed him too much. And, and I thought also, you know, five years in, I've kind of, yeah. I've interviewed every driver. Yeah. It's, I, I still love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm still part of the, the whole Formula One sport. I still work within it, but in a freelance capacity. Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't do a whole season anymore. Mm. So, but you've done bits since you've uh, you've yeah, covered and, so, and when Channel Four have been doing it. Yeah, so I covered some pit lane reporting for them, and I host various sort of events that different teams do. Um, and I work around the British Grand Prix. I work for some of the partners and sponsors. So I, I'm, I still keep my hand in, yeah, well, which that, is good. And, and that's all about knowing your stuff and um, being known as being someone who's great to work with I think that's really important isn't yeah it, in these kind of jobs yeah and being reliable and yeah absolutely I mean you don't lose your knowledge and and also your relationships you know I know a, a lot of the big bosses are friends of mine now mm. so I have good relationships with them so I can interview them very easily mm. and um, drivers as well you know, the drivers get younger as I get older <laughs> sadly I'm like their mothers now <laughs> yeah, like, now have you some. made sure that your helmet's <laughs> yes. on properly <laughs> yes exactly um <laughs> 
but it's still fun and, and it's the relationships you know what it's like Ali it's always you know especially in the media and sport as well if you if you work well with people and you're good at what you do, then you tend to get asked back, which, which is, is nice. which is like the Brits, because um, you've done that. The voiceover, because voiceovers yes. as well, you know, with your voice on the radio, that's led to lots of voiceover work. And, and um. you're just about to do the Brits again. And I'm, don't worry, I haven't got a cold because I know you <laughs> protect your voice. Oh, it's always I'm in February every year. I will gradually lose my voice coming up to the Brit Awards maybe it's the anxiety yeah, it's, it's like coming. my subconscious <laughs> I know that the Brit Awards is coming so I got this job about seven years ago and I was pregnant with my daughter actually at the time and um so she was born in April and uh, the Brits is always mid-February mid to late February and uh I got the job through again someone that I used to know <laughs> Um, and it was live, the, the sort of live announcing. So when the bands uh, are given their awards... And the winner is... And the winner is Adele, then as Adele sort of kisses and cuddles her, her partner and her, her team and walks up to the stage, I'm that voice of God, that announcer that says... A, a few facts about Adele. And but not too long because you don't want to cut into her speech. And it's live, yes. And it's live. And you can't rehearse it, as you probably know, Ali. But you, you do cannot have, rehearse You have a little stuff. bit, you, you, but you still go to the so rehearsal. I, so I'm there, yes. So I'm there from the morning. Um, so I get there at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's a fabulous show. And it's at the O2. So it's really grand. Um, and there's a lot of rehearsal, but mainly for the, for the bands playing. So I so it's great because I get to see all these behind the scenes stuff. But I'm basically in my little truck backstage with my producer, and um, because I know who the winners are, but no one else knows, and the winners don't know, so I can't actually rehearse my bits <laughs> because I don't out. want to blurt it out into the arena. <laughs> so so during rehearsal, oh look, who's the Coldplay? I've got the best album. Oops. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> so during um, the actual rehearsal, the bands rehearse, and then the winners get announced um but obviously the winner is always mickey mouse or donald duck (laughs) so and but but i do know where the bands are sitting so we can kind of time how roughly how long a rapper might shake hands or cuddle his crew and then sometimes they run other times they trip over well i have to ask you about that it's fun i have to ask you i remember you telling me about this madonna moment i mean we all remember it yes at the bridge when she fell over well no she fell backwards didn't she had this cloak and i think it got caught they tried to undo it didn't they so your memories of that because it was the end of the show you must have thought it was the last number. It's the end. Yeah. And I kicked back. I sat back because I'd done my last um, uh, voiceover. And so I took my headphones off and I literally threw it onto the desk and I sat back. And we have lots of monitors in our truck, my producer and I, Caroline and I. And I was looking at, at the different monitors and then suddenly we saw Madonna go over. And then it was just like this half a second everyone had their headphones back on and we were all ready do we have to say anything you know and there's a million people talking in your ear producers directors everyone's chatting or you know what not helpful actually and you just your mind's working it's always i mean there was something last was it last year with kendrick lamar when he he was lying on top of his car and the shot was from above and the music he had this sort of backing track and it started and then it stopped 
and then it started and it stopped and we knew that I mean my husband said to me I thought that was part of yeah, his, the track was I thought that was, that was his song and I was like no that was a huge mistake that happened um so you're always you're you know it's live so you're on edge and you're there and you're ready and and you hope that you can't that you don't mess up but um, but you don't you've done it for such a long time but it's it's quite must be an enormous fun it is it's a lot of fun and it, and it's just yeah it's a lot of trust again with people you work with and um and it's it's enjoyable you know i like seeing who we've got Hugh Jackman this I year I know he's opening the show oh, that'll be yes. fantastic the greatest showman yeah. gosh we're all going to be singing in our seats <laughs> but it's always a good one you know and I always watch the Grammys the week before and and um, music I love music I think I, I was saying to my husband the other day that if I hadn't have had this unplanned career that I've had I would have loved to have worked in a recording studio I mean I'm not musical at all I can't even whistle in tune but and I don't know you know I do voiceovers and, and radio I mean for goodness sake but but I love that process that creative process of having nothing and then having a track at the end mm. of it a song at the end of it and putting it all together and just working at it and well, even you know back in the radio days when we would try and think of fun ideas to do on the show and Chris would say look here's a microphone tell me 10 funny things about a microphone and so someone would start talking and then someone else would add to it and then so and you think you cut there's nothing funny about a microphone but some you know you would you would build it up. build it together mm-hmm. and it was just that creative process that I loved and well you might find that somebody calls you up and asks you to work in a recording <laughs> studio it's worked so far hasn't it you never know you never know <laughs> it'll be fun I remember going to a recording studio once and Robert Plant was there and I gave him his bacon sandwich and his cup of tea and because my friend was the chef. And I remember just sort of passing this over to him and we had a lovely chat. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, wow, you're just really famous. You're amazing. But, you know, you're... And again, I think I started asking him questions. Yeah, you know, just, just being approachable. And, you know, because a lot of people would just, would just, yeah, a lot of people would just stand there petrified maybe. And that's maybe what's been key to a lot of your success is just... I'm not going to say not caring, but being relaxed about it. I am quite relaxed. <laughs> I am. Someone said to me that quite early on that I was pretty laid back, but I'm kind of laid back, but I get it done. So Work I just think, hard. you know, yeah, you mustn't stress too much about life. There's <sighs> life's too short, really. It's your, it's your heritage, maybe. Your, it, do you think? Is it <laughs> I'm a bit because my father was Greek. Yeah, yeah, is it maybe, that kind of, But I grew up with my mother, who's English. Have so. a siesta and have some souvlaki. <laughs> yes, maybe it's in me. I mean, gosh, and a glass of rosé. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone is listening and they're like, I, I really want to get into, oh goodness, all the all these lines of work, but this sort of creative jobs where the phone just seems to ring annoyingly so we'd say don't change your mobile phone number that's a good thing <laughs> don't change your number and, um, and be, be but you know i i think the most important thing especially nowadays is to you've got to work hard you know i think sometimes a lot of people and i know everything's changing now but i think a lot of kids a lot of young people just sort of assume things are going to happen and they don't you do have to you could you could it, sh- it may look like I haven't done a lot of prep in you know with my work but I have and and it's it's the work you put in and I think if you put the work in and then just like I teach my children you know have manners and just respect and and if you're interested in what people do and you ask them and you then they will help you 
and it's just it's really easy mm. to that to that it, it, to, to that respect it's you know it's it's if you're interested in if you want to go and work for a radio station then go in there and see if you can get in there and then and write letters and mm. and see if you know the the people that wrote to me back in when I was a PA at Virgin Radio and they would say can we come and do work experience if I if they phoned and I and then I got a kind of feeling that actually they really wanted to do that, then I would make sure I would find them a job within mm. the radio station. Mm. And then they would come and do work experience. And a lot of them are, are now broadcasting or presenting now. And and it was just because I felt their passion. And I think, yeah, if you have, if you really want something, I think just go and keep going at it and just you'll get it. it yeah and there's one thing getting a job but there's also it's keeping that job so you know you say you're lucky but you know you wouldn't have worked for all those years on those breakfast shows if you had put taken your foot off if i'd been rubbish yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you know, don't you know you know what i mean yeah um so yeah. it's working hard i think that's really important yeah. and um and being passionate about it and and just yeah having a relaxed att- attitude but not too relaxed that's kind of what i take from you Yes. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I've never really analysed it, to be honest. I've never really talked about it because you just, I, I just sort of find that, you know, oh, I'm doing this at the moment and I'm just freelancing at the moment because I've got two young children and so my husband works full time and he travels around the world and so I've got to do this and this is my my years at the moment, you know. Um, but I've never kind of thought, gosh, I need to do this by the age of 50 or I need to do this by the age, you know, I've, I've never had that I've had a plan or goals. No, I suppose my plan was always just enjoying myself. I always wanted to have fun and enjoy myself. And when I left school, I remember getting very good grades. And then I was doing business studies at this college. And my mother said to me, God, you're bored, aren't you, Holly? And I said, you know what, Mum, I am so bored. And I could could have quite easily gone to work in the city. Mm. But I found it so boring. I was so... It was so dull. And she said, you know... I think you need to do something like the media or magazines or advertising or film, something that's just a little bit more creative, a little bit more exciting. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think you're right. And I think she saw in me that I I wasn't an artist, I wasn't a musician or that creative at all at school, but I just enjoyed the fun things in life. You know, I, I wasn't going to be in a lab or a or a, an office. I... I and yet, I think I probably could have been a good lawyer or a good scientist if I wanted. If I'd chosen that, but I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, or maybe I don't know. Maybe I would have. But, but I just my kind of route, and then it did sort of all tumble from doing my degree. Um, tumble is in a good t- way. Tumble is in in a good way, as in you know I rolled into my world. Um, but I think it all just came because I just wanted to laugh and smile and. Yeah, I, I, it's, I've it's enjoyed works. myself. Oh, good. <laughs> I've enjoyed talking to you. It's been brilliant. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Thank Molly. Thank you, Ali. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Megan, the producer, is still in Bolivia. I know, some of us have been toiling away. She's probably been swanning around the rainforest and climbing mountains. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at WhereGoRight. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us. And see you next week. <laughs>